Well, hello there again, listener. We'll leave um, Archie Roach there and go straight into Left After Breakfast on 3CR, your only radio left. Susanna Duffy here with you this morning. Joined, of course, as always, on a Friday morning by Glenn, our resident historian, his and her story, and our story. And good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Susanna. And, of course, good morning to listener. Once again, Friday morning, broad and bushy-tailed here at your Vox Populi 3CR. It, it, does your name have one N or two? It's had one N all my life, my oh, dear. Oh, dear, because I was just so suddenly saw in front of my eyes this... Vision swam in front of my eyes, swam in front of my eyes of your name, Glenn, and it had two ends, so I was saying Glenn. Like Glenn, Glenn, the astronaut. Did Glenn, Glenn, the astronaut have one end and two ends in his name? I don't name? know. He was a famous astronaut in the early 60s. But I even... do recall a, 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 a trivia question in a place, in a trivia contest in a place called Manly, which is in Queensland, mm-hmm. not, on, not in Sydney, where the... <laughs> Question was name the three first names of some bloody astronaut. Oh, who knows? Well, it apparently people knew it because it was a famous. It had a Russian name in it. Oh, who knows? Yuri. No, it was it was something like Glenn. You know, Glenn. Oh, Yuri. Yuri Glenn Yevgeny. Really, Paolo Jones. Okay, it was like it was a mixture of all these. Particular- where did he, he fly to? Saturn. No, oh. no. Not past Uranus? No, I'm not going to go into that one. I'm <laughs> okay. not. Anyway, we have a story you, to do this morning, my dear. You are not let's, the bag man. I'm not. Well, the bag man's inspired me. He's um he's been speaking about a long running strike in the UK called the Burston Strike School, and I thought, good lord, what's was a Burston Strike School, and why were they on strike for 25 years? So I did some homework, and Burston was uh, somewhere in Norfolk, England, and a little village. And on the first, Norfolk. Norfolk, sorry. Mm-hmm. On the 1st of April 1914 in Burston, Norfolk, the students went on strike. Stude. And the students went on strike for 25 years from the school. Unfortunate date. Well, before, I know, it was a bit of a joke, wasn't it? And um, look, in 1902, the British passed a bill about um, teaching working class kids. It was called the, the Parliamentary Education Bill, but often childhood education for Young people, yes. kids, kids, you know. Yes, it, yes, I remember it vaguely. It was a great thing brought in by that uh, uh, that Welshman. Well, I'm not sure who brought in, but it was about teaching kids their role in the world, you know. You're working class kids, you can go to school to learn And you to, learn to be a servant. That's correct. Or a farmhand, or a machine worker. You go to school, but not to learn. You just go to school to be, to be moulded. And this, um, but there were also teachers out there who were thinking, mm, yeah, but this bill's limited. Let's go, let's actually teach kids to learn. Let's teach kids to develop skills and stuff. And, My um, God, don't tell me they were actually, they were teachers at that time. Oh, they weren't wanted many. to teach children. <laughs> there many. Because they wanted to teach children how to learn. There weren't many. Because there haven't been any for 80 years at least. Well, there weren't That's, many. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all you teachers and former teachers out there. I know that many of you, in fact, the ones that I know always taught children Children want to encourage children to learn. Well, as I said, in 902 in the UK, the Parliamentary Education Bill was brought in offering education to working class children, which is a way of moulding them. But um, you know, some teachers thought, mm, okay, let's uh, let's actually teach working class kids to learn things. And there's a couple, and her name was her maiden name. Uh, she was sorry, she was born Anne Catherine Shollick, better known as Kitty, and her husband was Tom Higdon. So Kitty Higdon and Tom Higdon, they were. 
they were Christian socialists. They were teachers. And I thought, hang on, well, it, it can, it's not always a paradox. Well, I'm sort of frowning here, listener. You can't see me, but I'm thinking Christian socialist. I've met, I've been in the Philippines. I've met nuns. I've met nuns. And priests who supported the, N- the, NP- the New People's Army and yeah. the Communist Party of the Philippines. So our Christians who can be quite progressive. Anyway, Kitty and Tom Higdon taught at schools, and they taught at a place called the, uh, the Wood Dowling County School. Sorry, the... The Wood Dowling County School in nice Norfolk name. in 902. And after a very short period of time, they found out at Olive the Establishment because uh, they were teaching the kids how to learn. And the, the farmers were saying, no, no, the kids have to come and work in the field. You can't teach them to learn. We need to work in the fields. And they're saying, but we're teaching them, you know. What well, they teach them? Well, how, how to be literate. Well, arithmetic, I suppose, and numeracy, these areas, you know. And yeah. the farmer like, no, no, you can't teach them how to spell cattle, count the ten. Well, they have to We do- need to pick the crops. Well, I'm sure that they must have been something else because you'd really like a farmhand who could read and write. Would you? Yes, you would. But you wouldn't want a farmhand who knew anything about history. Anyway, they taught there for about nine years. But eventually, in Norfolk. And after nine years, they had enough of the razzmatazz of the farmers and the, the behaviour of those on the school council. Just, who just saw the kids as a cheaper labour force? You know, they're here to be working. Why learn? You're working class kids. Why do you need to count? Why do you need to spell it or is or him? You know, you get out and pick those weeds and wheat and crops and whatever else, you know. So by 911, they decided they'd had enough of it. They left for school. I moved on to a new place, a place also in Norfolk called Burston. And same as at the previous school, at Burston, the school committee was run pretty much by local farm owners. And overseeing them was the local rector, the Reverend Charles Tucker Eland. Now, this man, Reverend Charles Tucker Eland... He wasn't a Christian socialist. Oh, he, he wasn't not. a progressive Catholic. He wasn't a Catholic, full stop. Well, the Philippines, they were, they yeah, were progressive. Yeah. He, he was Anglican to, the, to his bootstraps. Right, to the core. Now, he, he was on a yearly salary of £580. It's a fair whack. £580. The, the heads of the families nearby offered an annual salary of £30. So his income was almost 20 times higher than the average family income. And he wanted to run the school as a, a place of Christian learning where yeah, working class kids can go to learn and they learn their place. You might learn to spell him, her, his, Well, you might it, learn to spell the number five. of cattle. Or seeing it as they were in Norfolk, that's a kind. Hmm. And he, um, he wasn't impressed by these new school teachers, this, this couple, Kitty and Tom Higdon. And uh, there was similar, they had, they had problems at the previous school and they had problems here again where the, the school board was by local farm owners overseen by the rector. And the, the teachers, the Higdon couple, they clashed. And um, one of the areas of concern was um, the, re- the Reverend criticised Kitty Higdon because one day some girls came to school and they were, they'd been caught in the rain. So Kitty Higdon lit a grate in the, in the schoolroom to warm the girls up and dry their clothes. Yes. And that was considered a heinous behaviour. I suppose it was, yes, well, indeed. Well, it was, indeed. Well, but, but they, it, was, it was raining and they were wet. It's bloody very cold, wet weather up there, you know. It is very wet weather. And they were basically, you know, this was heinous offence. How dare you like the grate in the schoolroom? So complaints were made about that. Cost uh, of money, I suppose. 
coal. Well, the coal, yeah, the, the burning coal. Uh, other complaints were made that the children were basically, uh, but Kitty had mistreated some of the children, that uh, they'd been rude to education officials. Oh, that's spoken. Oh, well, you've got almighty. Mm. Well, that's something, isn't it? That, that so, was the go when you were a kid too. I'm sure that you weren't, mm. you didn't open your mouth. You'd never answer back. You never questioned. Mm. Well, Kitty and Tom believe kids need a better start in life, you know. They encourage kids to view their lessons as a pleasure, not as a chore. And they attendance at school actually rose. And that more kids were attending school for longer. And they focus on each kid's talent, you know. The kids thought, you know, the idea is examining possibilities for education, of learning, of developing skills. Not, not mustering the cows or picking the crops, you know. You could still go and muster the cows or pick the crops, but you could, still, but you could also be, you know, composing music in your head mm. or thinking of Shakespeare's sonnets, for heaven's sake. Well, that's, that was... Um, it was dangerous. So the local farm owners who made up the committee with the local vicar decided, hang on, there's some issues here. They're teaching kids they're teaching kids to learn. This isn't what school's about. They're teaching kids to think. Absolutely. It's not good enough you thinking. You can't have yeah. that. No. Particularly in 19... When was he 11? This is 19... Well, they went across here in 1911. And in that period of time between 1911 and 1914, um, Tom Higdon got onto the uh, local council. He was elected to the council. And a progressive ticket robbed the old farm owners on the council. So the farm owners and the reverend had lost control of the council, but they still controlled the school management committee. And at that time, voting was uh, for men of, of land. substance. Yeah. Yes, obviously some of the men had some land here. Mm. I voted for Tom Higdon and other sort of progressive thinkers. And they, they rolled the old aristocracy. So Squatocracy, close enough, isn't mm. it? Though it's not squatocracy. Anyway, but but they, they certainly weren't aristocracy, were they? They were just bloody landowners. Well, it was heinous enough teaching the kids to learn to think. He doesn't have to burn coal in the classroom so kids could dry their clothes. He doesn't be able to get the council. It's not good enough. The world had been turned upside down. So led by the, the reverend, the rector, what his name was, the vicar, Reverend Elard, they, uh, they wrote to the education department. They're saying that um, the kitty had been disrespectful to people, but they abused children. Two girls had been, had been beaten by kitty and reduced to tears. And this behaviour was Outrageous, and they wanted the teachers removed. An inquiry was held, and they found the charges unsubstantiated. It was all absolute BS, except for one example where Kitty had apparently been, um, uh, what's the word, insubordinate not all, not not appropriately respectful to the local education department officials. No appropriately respectful. Mm. Everything else was basically dismissed. Nonetheless, because of her behaviour, because she hadn't been respectful, the contract for her and her husband was terminated end of March 1914. They were no longer with the teachers. So there you go. On the 1st of April 1914, as the new management welcomed a new teacher to the school, they walked into the school classroom. And on the blackboards in chalk, we are going on strike. And out, out the front was a group of students led by a young lass called Violet Potter. And other, that was her name. Beautiful it was her name, yes. and other kids and their parents. And they demanded the return of Kitty and Tom Hitchson. They were the teachers they wanted, not some outsider who'd been brought in by the, uh, the local squatocracy. The they marched through town and they came across um, the house of the woman who's alleged her daughter had been slapped by Kitty. In this lady's front, yeah, I was. Well, they, she accused Kitty of assaulting her daughters. I was thinking, you know, slapping a kid in nineteen bloody fourteen. Puff, you wouldn't even notice it. You, <laughs> you wouldn't notice if, if if someone had taken a cane to your daughter in nineteen fourteen. No. You'd think, well, you know, she must have deserved it. People used to treat their children. They did, listener. People used to treat their children like that. They used to 
hits them. Yeah. And I'm not talking just parents. I'm talking school teachers. If it's, if it's not oh, bad enough. I was parents, strapped regularly at primary school. I was strapped numerous times. <laughs> All that corporal punishment, my dear. Well, yes, I know you told me that before about your school, though I never was. And no one like my school was. <laughs> but the thing is, it was, it was common. And I think being slapped by a teacher in 1914 and saying that's wrong, well, I think that was really pushing the envelope. Our primary school principal in the 1670s was a member of having a blank here. He was a member of the same group that Marie Tan belonged to. Um, having, I should not back to front, but Marie I Marie Tan. Yes, um, the, it was a fascistic Catholic organisation. Like, oh uh, God, I can't get the right name, but it's um, Opus Day. He was an Opus Day supporter. Our primary school teacher. The Word of God. Yes. Anyway, the Higdons were sacked for daring to misbehave, for lighting fires and drying clothes and. Being rude to officials. So being insubordinate is not being rude. The kids went on strike. And eventually the parents had support from others outside. And they, um, they set up their own little tent to build a, a, a temporary school. Led by George Durbridge, the fishmonger. They decided, we're not taking our kids back to school. We're having the Higgsons teach our kids. And of the 72 pupils, six pupils remained at the school. The other 66 went across to be taught by the Higstons. And uh, at a temporary sort of structure. And there's money raised. Uh, the labour movement, local organisations, and they decided they'd get a, a, a proper structure. Not a tent, but a proper classroom. And this was organised. A maiden's raised made to lease a classroom in the area. And, um, you know, they kept going and going. And a new school was built. Not just a, a tent, a lease school, and a new school was built. And it was opened by the strike leader, Violet Potter, on the 30th of May, 1917. Now, I don't know if Violet was 10, 8, 12. She was their leader. Violet led the strikers. She may have been 16. She may have been. And, you know, it is a period of time from 14 to 17, the, the old school management committee attacked the parents and the families incessantly. These they, were hectic times, though. You're talking April 1914. This is during World War I. Well, when did the war, when was war declared? Oh, August, was it August? August, yeah. I mean, in this period of time, 18 parents were summoned to court and fined for sending their kids to school. The parents for, were, what, for not sending the kids to school? To the, to the official school. But, so you had to send your children. So, so education was compulsory mm. in England in 1914. At, at the correct school, not at the striking school. No, but so it must have been compulsory. Mm. The landowners sacked workers whose kids were in the striking school. Oh, that's a bit bloody much. They tried to evict them. They yeah. ransacked their property and crops. Oh. And that may have been more determined to keep going, you know. Well, you know, they, 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 we're talking to people of Norfolk here. Mm. Didn't their landowners ever study history? No. Didn't no. they know what's, what, what has come out of that part? And Burston became a hive of activity. It inspired thousands throughout England. The Reverend Eland, who was the, the cause of the problems, he left Burst in 1920. And a new Reverend came. He was Francis Smith. And he was quite more agreeable to his parishioners than his predecessor. And over time, there was some sort of, you know, they rebuilt the bridges. And um, some kids, younger kids, started going to the official school. Um, but a lot of kids went to the, the Higdon School, not the official school. And the Higdon School lasted till 1940. Well now, done. 26 years of strike school was going for. Now, Tom Higdon died in August 1939, and Kitty was 75, and she couldn't continue. By the end of 1939, 1940, the strike school closed. And then the, the kids who went to school, and these are often the son of children yes, the and children. grandchildren of yeah. the strikers, they returned to the council school, which had improved a lot. 
The Boy Club Council School lasted over 25 years and one of the longest ever strikes in history. Well, that's a beauty, isn't it? Kitty Higdon died on April 24, 1946, and is buried next to her husband in Burston's churchyard. And uh, in 1949, the Burston Strike School was granted charity status. It's there as a museum to visit, to be attended to, to be seen. This is the new building they built in 1979, where the strikers were. Oh, yes. Instead of the tent. Hmm. Well, they had had the tent, then a temporary leased one, then they built a new one. I must have got some land from someone. Well, money raised by the Labor Party and unions helped keep them going. There's been a BBC drama, which I didn't know about. I must have a look for it. Well, 1985, it's called The Burston Rebellion. The Burston Rebellion. And I didn't know the actor's name. Because Eileen Adkins was Kitty Higdon. Bernard Hill was Tom Higdon. John Shrapnel, the Reverend Charles Tucker Allard. Sounds like just the kind of name to play a part of yes. a rector and on 580 bloody quid a year. And Nicholas Cowper was Violet Potter. Uh, there's been rallies held every year on the first Sunday of September at Burston. And there's a website of a school, and it's attendees over the years. Oh, so I must have a look for it then. So, Burston Rebellion, yeah. Burston School. Yeah, it's a big thank you to the, easy the, enough to find the bag man. The bag man mentioned this to me, and I've done some homework. And uh, yeah, how inspiring! How uh, inspiring! It, it is actually inspiring. That part of England up there on the north, up there, was extremely active during the Peasants' Revolt. The Watt people Tyler. there, yeah, Watt Tyler, Watt Tyler, the wonderful Watt Tyler, who, to his great, with great respect, and to the, in my admiration of that man, we know so little about him. He was not; he did not have his public persona. Public. He was just one of them, as he said. He was just one of the men. Well, those days people used the word men as a, a g- generic term yeah. for humans, basically. But yes, that was a very, that was a hotbed at that time mm. in um, the l- middle to late 14th century. And Kent, a- along with yeah, Kent, yeah. they were, so I mean, you'd be really pushing, you'd be sticking the prod at them to, to pushing people from up that way, telling them what to do when they had such a proud when they have such a proud history, well, they, mm. you know, of saying, "Oh, stuff you, Jack." Well, the Reverend Charles Elard wasn't the smartest, wasn't the sharpest life in the drawer. Well, he wouldn't have been a, a Reverend, would he? Oh, oh no, he, I take that back. Was a vicar? I, can, I don't know the Anglican Church, my dear. I'm not. I take it back. I take it all back. <laughs> I find the Catholic confusing enough. Was, I don't know. He was cluey enough to be getting five hundred and eighty quid a year. That's right. And now in those he get days. That? That's like the wage for Prime Minister in that period of time. Well, That's a phenomenal fee. Close. That is phenomenal. And how did he manage that? Who paid him? The parishioners, they all lived on um, On the parishioners. They did were they granted, pay a tithe? They were, yeah, it was a tithe. And they were granted a living. And with that living came a small amount. But somewhere to live was a living was actually somewhere to live and some money to you and I think at least two servants and that was your living. When <laughs> Disgusting. You got, well, you need two servants for heaven's sake. Why, you? why only two? Why not six or seven? Oh, because a man of God doesn't need more than six or seven servants. Two's enough. Goodness me, you must be a very hardy man of God. Well, I'm sure that the parishioners were um, all, all into it. <laughs> we're all helping as well. No, but I mean, that is a hell of a lot of money. So he must have had money somewhere else. Maybe he had a private um, income that paid him so much per year as people used to have in those <laughs> days, Glenn. Nothing surprises me. No, but they did. They had, I'm not when, when they had personal income, say, from family. And he, he's in the church, so he's not the eldest son. 
The eldest son goes to the church, uh, goes to goes to inherit the land. Mm. The second son goes to the army. The third son goes to the church. And if you're the fourth son, well, bad luck, mate. You you just miss out unless you can knock off one of your brothers or a couple of them. Well, that's the way the Mercedes Benz. Yeah, but that's, that's the way the mop flops. But so it, then you had some income, some inheritance from your family. It was put into um, whatever it was called, sort of like stocks, really. Yeah. Bonds. In, it was, war it was war in, bonds. Yeah. It, it was in bonds, in the king's bonds. Oh, you would have made money in the war. It was war. like a bank. It was just like a, but nothing to do with war, but it was like... But it, wouldn't, but it you... was put into like a bank, mm. and it was called um, the king's bonds or something. It was mm. the king either owned it or made money from it, I suppose. Oh, good Lord. And so much was paid to you each year. And a hundred pound a year was a huge amount in nineteen fourteen. Who was the King of England when the was it Edward? Edward died in nineteen eleven. Who replaced Edward? Uh his son um George. George the Fifth? Would have to be George the Fifth. Because George the Sixth was Queen's dad. So George the Fifth was the sailor. They called him the sailor king. So George the Fifth replaced him. And who replaced George the Fifth? The one who married Mrs. George, Wallace. George the Sixth. Now, who abdicated? Oh, that was Edward. Edward. Uh, the George the Fifth, Edward the Eighth, and George the Sixth. Mm. Now Lizzie. Yes. Lizzie Battenberg. Yes, Betty Battenberg. That's Elizabeth Battenberg, yes. And it was um, yeah, George the Fifth, it was called the Sailor. Was he? He married uh, the Danish woman from the da- from the Not Danish. Princess Mary. No, from the Danish crown. Can he- <laughs> oh, no. Her name was Alexander. No, her name was Adelaide, I think. Adelaida. Adel. Well, just Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide, right. or or perhaps it was Alexandra. I don't know. I don't really care. I what don't fire royalty, do you? I'm not I don't know. Royalty. But I do remember well because she was deaf. What? Yes, precisely. But so she, she was Mutton Jeff. She was loved by the crowds because she could walk amongst them still smiling and waving. And that abuse her, that screaming, and she'd wave back and, and smile. She had no idea. But the noise <laughs> didn't worry her. My mind's working overtime here. I think of her, I thought, poor woman. And, 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 poor and, and, and I foot. say this especially now, listener, because, you know, I've been Mutton told Jeff. that I'm Mutton Jeff. Yes, and it's tomorrow is the big day for me. I go to get my hearing aids. I don't know whether I really want them or not. All I have trouble with is... At least you can turn them on and turn them off. I don't know. I think you might become used to them like a crutch. It took me a while to chuck away my walking frame. Oh, I've got my walking stick at home. Because I got used to it. I've it for years. I've not used mine for 13 years at the home store. But keep it. I've, I've kept it, my dear. I I have my father's walking stick. It's Blackthorn. I've got my walking stick. And it's got his... Initials on the side. The only thing is, it's a bit high. It's a bit tall for me. You know, it's a bit high. Straighten your back. Well, everybody back straight. I'm not as tall as my father was. Well, my. So I mean, well, I'm not a particularly tall person anyway. Well, I think I'm average height. I'm well below it. Well, no, no, you're average. I'm you're taller than I am, but then nearly I'm a everyone ma- I'm a male is. Too. Nearly male too. taller than females generally. Five foot seven is Australian height for males. I'm five foot five and a half. So ah, well, one and a half inches lacking like in, in height. Five and a half. Well, it's now, three inches more than three inches taller now, than I. Violet am. Potter. I wonder what became of Violet Potter, who led the students. I just that name rang a bell with me, Violet Potter. Maybe really we should did. Google Violet Potter. Violet Potter burst in the strike school. Easy enough to do it. Look, if I had my notebook in front of me, I would do it. She now. might have faded away into the mist of time. No, well, she, who knows what she. We, we don't know. I'm surmising. 
she must have maybe she took up teaching at that school, particularly if there were monies raised and they could afford to pay. She it. might become a, of one of the founding members of the CPGB, possibly. The what? The, the Communist Party CPGB. of Great Britain. Oh, of course, GB. Then so that's the days when it was called Great Britain. You said UK before earlier. <laughs> well, I use the terms interchangeably. Well, I, <laughs> same to me. I don't. Well, I think UK is a contradiction in terms. Well, isn't the UK uh, and it's certainly not uh, occupied territories of Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland? Mm. Isn't it the United Kingdom? That's the United Kingdom. Those occupied and I territories. That the term United Kingdom is a contradiction in terms in itself. And um, mm. I've always said Eng- England, but then, of course, I'm not English and I'm not from the island of Britain. And I've noticed that. I've noticed for the last good 10, 15 years or so that the English people that I've come across mm. refer to themselves as Brits. Well, how are the British and English different? I'm not clear there. The British and the English are very different people. <laughs> What's the difference? They're to me, it's the same place. Britain and England are the same it's place. It's only a tiny little island, but they've always been aware, much more than we have here, mm. because we're just dropped here and dropped like a bloody bowl of pea soup and spread out. Yes. But they have... All the places in the world, apart from the New World, as they call it, mm. USA and Australia, naturally, yeah. and, and, the, and, and the white people in Africa. And mm. the, but... Um, the people have always lived in tribes or clan groups or just groups of people speaking different languages. And the English people in England were all from the same sort of, to begin with, the same sort of tribe and they spoke a, a different language to the others there. The, the Scots had two separate languages at that time and mm. they knew that they were Scots. So did the Welsh. You know, they, then people towards the uh, north of Wales, like the northwest, had their own particular. Mm. They were different people. Oh, yeah. Totally different. But how have English and the British different? I mean, there's the Picts and there's the Celts and all those people. But how are the Scott, English and British different? Because the English people were English, English-speaking group of people. And who were the British? They were the people who were there. The earliest week, the people who were there before the English people came okay. were the Romano-British. Okay, well, I'm not as often They were the Romano-British. They were Romans. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Before the, Ro- the Roman invasion... You know, the Romans were there for a couple of, for a few hundred years in yes. Britain. Well, Julius Caesar was the first one who picked a bit. He didn't stay, but it uh, was Claudius. Claudius, the emperor, built up Britain. It was, um, and it was called Britain, you know, it was called Britannia. Oh, yes, it was Britannia. And it was, uh, and it was a Roman province. It was part of Rome. The Hadrian's great, Wall. The part of the great empire of hmm. Rome. Yeah. And those people were Roman. And when... Their legionaries in it, whatever part of the world really they were, when they finished their 20 years' service, they were given a lump sum, which was their pension, and given land, basically like 40 acres and a mule. Mm. They were given land um, and citizenship of Rome, and so did their wives have okay. citizenship of Rome. And if they lived in a town, mm. a civitas uh, so that the Romans had built, a like Roman. Bath or Dorset. Or York. York. Um, or London. Yep, Londinium. Oh, yeah, Londinium, whatever that, um, or Lincoln, wherever they were there, and they lived in that town. The children who were born to them also became Roman citizens, and oh, that was yeah. the highest bloody thing you could aim for in the world. And they were Romano-British. Yeah. Before the Romans came, they were uh, mixed tribes of different people who came across from Europe. Mm-hmm. We don't really know where, possibly, even from Hungary, a lot of them. Who are the where are the Goths from? The Goths in Northern Europe. The Germans. Goths and Visigoths. Visigoths 
Poles? Further north, sort of a German, a mixture of Danes and yeah. Poles. Really. Well, the Hans are Germans. Yes, they're one of the German tribes. Mm, Hans Gosp. But Gosp. the Huns, of course, were very far east. Fair enough. They were very, very far east. Near Silesia. And they very east, you'll find a, there were a, quite a number of Huns with the Asian Eiffel. Okay. The, Out on the steppies. <laughs> the steppies, I like that. Steps. Steps. Now, time for me to go, listeners. Oh, my gosh. We're, what are we talking we've, about? We're having sort of a tangent here. Well, it was it's, history, it's wasn't history. It's history. Now, as I said, the bag, ma- the bag man inspired me to do the Burst and Strike School story. So I will leave Shida for the bag man and well, maybe he, Irene. Let's see who's here. Anyway, well, I'll go on with you. I don't know. Oh. It's just sort of a... Who knows? Well, I'll debate people. Anyway, until I return next week, I will say, in the words of my forebears, Chocula. Chocula. Well, good morning, um, everyone, again. And good morning, of course, to the wonderful people sitting in front of me. Look, listening, I have no idea what a pleasure it, a pleasure it is for me to look across the room and see the beautiful smiling faces, particularly Irene Bolter's smiling face. And as for the bag man... It's the same face I've seen for many years on the other side of the panel. When it's not smiling, it it's even better than smiling. Yes. Good morning, Susan. Good, Good morning, morning, Irene. Good morning, Mr Bagman. What Good morning, Miss Susanna. You've been looking at this head for about 29 years now. Every yes. morning, every Friday morning for about 29 years. Maybe one day we'll get the abacus out and we'll actually work out How when we, we when we started. And we're still going now, and how many years that would be? You should see them, though, listeners. Oh, they're funny. Got a good head. Got good heads for radio. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) they stagger in. Well, talking of staggering, you were a fantastic dancer on radio, weren't you, Black Black Man? I was. I still yearn for those days. When they used to teach me ballroom dancing up at St Michael's in North Melbourne, (laughs) the old evening free step and. uh, what was the other one? You'd know. Pride of Erin. The Pride of Erin and whatever. And the Foxtrot. Oh, those Did you do the, the Foxtrot? I'd done the Foxtrot. Yeah, I'd do done them all. Yeah, we used to dance it with I, each other at school. I was like the Fred Astaire of Were North you? Melbourne. Ah, oh, the Fred Astaire yeah. of St. Michael's. <laughs> I could just see it now, yeah. They'd be going, get off my feet. Just Ac- stepped on my toes. Actually, um, me and Susan have discussed this before, but I, I, um, I adopted the fetish. Um, oh, from learning how to um, how to do ballroom dancing, we won't go into it now. But um, I've still got that fetish. <laughs> oh. oh, thank you very much. No, we won't go into it. We ain't telling you. And please, if anyone else is going to ring up today and say, "Look, they don't know what the pride of Erin is," don't worry about it. Mm. It's, no, it's basically a, a barn dance. That's right. Sort of. Yes. We used to have barn dancing at uh, the Port Albert uh, Mechanics Hall. Bush dancing, it's called nowadays. Oh, big, is it? No, yeah. it, it, was, it, no old times. was it barn dancing? Yes, it was barn dancing. Barn dancing. You have yes. the big bales of straw? No, Not no. necessarily. And, you have to bake uh, with the ukulele? What was the one where you... Um, oh, one, two, I'll, I'll one, remember, two, three, four. I'll remember it for next week. I All can't right. remember <laughs> what the name of it was. There was another one where you... Do si do and uh, you know the do si do yeah that's American American bullshit. Bullshit. yeah we used that's to do those uh, square dancing square, square dancing. dancing we used to do square dancing oh. not barn dancing I'll yes tell you, you were in line there for yes. the two or the week if you didn't get that out my, my, <laughs> my, my, who is your two or the week this my week my parents used to go square dancing and I was, square dancing yeah Madame Defarge oh. Guthrie at the Ooh, ABC who's she? 
She is the head of the ABC. I'll just Madame Defarge. Give her name, Madame Defarge. <laughs> Good name. She's uh, yeah. overseeing cuts, the chop, chopping at the oh. ABC. And Sunday mornings on RN have mm. now become the IPA morning because, and it's the whole morning on Sunday mornings now is IPA. That's the Institute of Public Affairs. Yes, yeah. and oh uh, Tom Schweitzer or Switzer or whatever his oh, name yeah. is, uh, I think he's from the United States originally. He's got an accent like that. Maybe right. Canadian. Might I don't know. Canadian. He's from the IPA and he Might be is from on, Canadia. He's on oh. Fox, uh, often on Fox. As Abbott says, Canadia. Canadia. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, uh, of course, very right-wing, but he does it with a smile and a nice tone. Uh, and uh, he, he's on on Sunday mornings. They've taken Jonathan oh. Green off, would you believe? But why he was one of the best broadcasters Jonathan around. Green off? Yes. So why they've taken you be listening to the uh, gardening show on 3CR, which has proved to be the most popular gardening program on any radio station in, in the well, whole be more wide world. It's on world. Sunday morning, there'll well, be more I, of them now. i tell you oh, what, right, there'll good. be more listeners now. People yeah. will be turning off left to I'm right really center. sorry to hear about yes, Jonathan Green. Well, yes, mm. so the whole morning is IPA. Well, I don't listen to the ABC much. I listen to John Fain, of course, and I listen to Hillary. Well, I listen to Hillary Harper because, because she's Hillary, Hillary Harper. is a product of uh, 3CR, and she's very intelligent. I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, like oh, so people. She's very intelligent. So yeah. many of them are, are products of 3CR. 3CR. Well, they are our sister, uh, sister but they're trained station. Here. That's the point. They're trained yeah. here. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Yes. Oh, oh, dear. What about and, some... Oh, go on. Well, I was just going to say the uh, Counting Dead Women. Yes. 67. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. 67. The last time I saw it. It could be more by now. I don't know. It seems to go up every day at the moment. Uh, thank you to the Counting Dead Women from Destroy the Joint for providing us with the information about this. I haven't heard of too many men that have been killed recently by domestic violence. Could you count them? No, well, men that aren't killed by domestic oh, violence. Right. The well, men, well, the men on my Facebook page who get on and become quite ranting and raving about this, that there is so much domestic violence against men that we just don't know about. Really? And it's not fair. There was one yesterday because oh. feminists have taken over where women have places to go with their children and men don't have anything. So I said, oh. why don't you get your finger out and do it yourselves? You want women to do it for you? So if you're not happy about having refuges <laughs> for men, yeah. go and organise it. Organise one. So women don't. have safe houses to get away from the well, men who are going yes. to Well, so many of them now. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yes. So uh, men want safe houses. men are complaining about it. Let them get their, <laughs> the get their own. Yeah. The same as they complained <laughs> about health centres. Yes, so get your and own. swimming pools one morning a week. Yes, so get organised. They're they're on about feminists at the moment. A lot of blokes, not the good blokes who are sensible. You've These got some blokes. strange people on your Facebook page. <laughs> Come on, why don't you boot them? Well, uh, I give them a chance to repent. Oh right, <laughs> oh that'd be good. You'd be waiting a while. The end is repent. <laughs> and then if they don't. They're gone. They're gone. Block, block. Um, must but, be, uh, must be a, a real blow to your um, your psyche to be unfriended by somebody, mustn't it be? Mustn't oh, it? yes, I was unfriended by John Persant the other day. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, Badge of honour. Allegedly a lefty. Well, he, he, he's one of those people on Facebook who like to 
preach a lot about, well, I shouldn't say preach, but there are some people on Facebook who, who like to display their knowledge about Marxism and who criticise people like me because I don't understand the dialectics and the whole thing about Marxism and I don't quote oh. Marx all the time, whereas they do in a very academic way, write whole swathes of stuff about Marx and the others. Um, and I, I get into them about being activist rather than just... You know, spouting he's an Marxism. Economist. All the time. Oh, he was. Yes, but what he, he what was he did? A, he's a former tax commissioner. He is, and he got very cross with me. And the other he day. was booted. He was, and uh, but he he's he stated what his position about Syria is is that uh, <clears throat> it's the workers against the government that it's a, it's an uprising of workers in Syria, which is as bad as far from the truth as you can actually get because it's not. Uh, an uprising works. There, I must say, in some of the reading I've done, which is not mainstream media, but all sorts of from mm. all sorts of writers who are actually Syrian, uh, there was um, uh, an anarchist rebellion uh, during the course of the whole thing. Starting, the anarchists started to get organised and were organising themselves in different places. But there's not been. It's not a workers' uprising at all. It's nothing like that. Mm. It's it's. It's a fight against the Sunni extremists. And there are Sunnis. Most of the people in Syria are Sunni, but a lot of them are not taking part. But it's the ones who are radical who are taking part. And this idea, and I know um, not everybody agrees with me, but this idea about um, rebels, the Sunni rebels, uh, who do fight with IS when it suits them, uh, that they're somehow going to free Syria from some sort of terrible situation. It's... Uh, mm. The bagman has been known for his... We're not talking about Syria here. We'll just move from Syria for a moment. I yes. was going to do one of my name-dropping exercises. Oh, oh please. go on. I actually met um, al-Assad's father back in 1982 when he was the president of Syria. Yes. Hmm. And did you see him killing all those people? No, 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 no. no. And, uh, we have a different version of uh, Syria, or I have a different version than you. Um, and, yeah, but it's, yeah, and uh, we have run into trouble with other programmers here. I don't mean Irene, with other programmers <laughs> here about events happening in the the Middle East and That's right. Nations. Yes, well, it's good. You can get very hit up. I'm not. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to hit you or anything. No, you can it, tell me what your view is. <laughs> well, at least not on air. Please. But I'm interested. I'm interested right. in other people's views. But I All take right. notice of the people who are who are reporting from there. Um, and there are uh, Vanessa Bealey is one of them who mm. reports from Syria as a journalist. And uh, Tim Anderson goes over there. He does. He does. And uh, I would, I would listen to Tim Anderson. Yes, I, yes. To I would Tim value Anderson. his, um, and he posts his appraisal a lot on my Facebook page ah. about it. Mm. Um, if you get on there, he, I get, he get posts from him every day. Oh no, he corresponds well, with me also. Yes, yes. well, I fo follow his feed too, and mm. we've mm. had conversations there yes. before. He's, of course, um, yeah, well. Well, oh, just I was thinking Tim Anderson. I, I suppose I first started trusting Tim Anderson because of what happened to him. Yes, but then way back, way back, but when about nineteen seventy-two oh, or something, yeah, wasn't it? Was it was a long time ago. Was it in the seventies or eighties? The Hilton 70s? bombing. Yeah. I think it was in the seventies. Yeah, and then of course Ooh. when I met him, because he was um, 
whenever it was after he was freed sometime, but he was spent a lot of time. He was based in the plumbers' union at one stage, mm. Mm. and I'd see him a lot there. I don't know. Well, that was when the plumbers' union was different uh, the tum- to the plumbers' when union. When it was a good left, union. When it was a left-wing union. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yes. Look, uh, let's get on to something serious for a while. You looked at me, <laughs> you looked at me a minute ago as though you oh. wanted to say something to me. Did you? No, well, oh, right. I, well, I did, but it's not important. Oh, right. But let's talk about. I'm one, only a woman. Let, let, let's talk about one of your <laughs> favourite. Go on. Your favourite uh, politicians, George Christensen. Oh, because don't. George has been echoing opposition leader Bill Shorten's call for a crackdown on four, five, seven oh, yeah, foreign yeah, workers' yeah, visas. Yeah. Now, apparently, or seemingly alert to the prospect of America's populist, protectionist, anti-establishment bug crossing the Pacific, Mr mm-hmm. Shorten has targeted the traditional labour base recently, ramming, ramping up his rhetoric about protecting domestic jobs with new plans to curb overseas labour. Now, we see another instance this week, um, uh, an expose by Fairfax Media, and Fairfax Media normally uh, follow up what we've been talking about for many years, and yes. we have been talking about uh, four, five, seven visas for a number of years. But apparently, there's a new company that supplies Coles, Woolworths, and uh, Aldi with stone fruit uh, called La Martina down on Mornington Peninsula. Oh, La Martinas, yeah, yeah we've been around for a long time. Yeah, well. We can get thirteen hours, thirteen dollars an hour for working fifty hours. Mm. Um, yeah, it's such a thing because I know that brand, and I know that they're. You like sure you're not based, thinking of Dimitina? No, uh, Lamatina. And the sun <laughs> never shines in the dusty Dimitina. No, the rain never comes in the dusty Dimitina, and I won't be around when the morning comes. Yeah. Oh, that's a song. Yes, <laughs> of okay. course. Dusty Dimitina. D- no, but I know that mm. brand. You know. As you said, well, you know, La Martina, and I know it's based somewhere somewhere around Melbourne. I thought I'm supporting my local produce. I'm supporting mm, local mm, stuff mm, here, mm. and now I'm not. No, mm. well, and also they expose that other company, Sauna or Sauna, C-U-N-A, I think. Uh, Citru, up in Mildura. Yes, when well, they're they're not even four, five, seven visa. No, they're they're coming in as illegal people, and and but. I can go that It's estimated that this. there are 166,000 people who have come into this country, come in by aeroplane, who are overstaying their visas, um, are illegally in the country, are working for people who are paying them uh, $10, $12, $13 an hour. Or five. Or, yeah. Sometimes. And the, the worst thing is that some of these people who have been ripped off now work as labour hire middle persons. So they they know what it's like to be ripped off, but they're now in the middle and they're helping to rip off other people below them. How times have changed. It used to be the poor bloody Vietnamese. Yeah, that's right. Remember remember we saw images of them handcuffed in Mildura? Yes. 166,000 people as compared to a couple of thousand people in Manus and Nauru who had the temerity to come here by boat. These people come by aeroplane. The uh, authorities know about it. Department of Immigration knows about it. Criminal migrant agents know about it, uh, well, are involved in it, and labour hire firms uh, are basically ripping people off to the tune of millions and millions of dollars a year. Now, Once upon a time, 
they used to only, the government would only pick on those poor bloody Kiwis who were working in bars in Bondi. Yeah. That's right. But yeah. they point them out, but they never mention all those poms, no. sorry all you English listeners, that came in here by planes on a six-week visa and never went home. They like it here. But mm. the people in Mildura are not even from labour hire. What they're from, what the, the people who are in the middle, uh, as you said, they're people who've come through the system like that and then they've become the people who are... Recruiters. Recruiters. Mm. And they, they uh, advertise uh, in uh, Asian countries and uh, organise for them to, when they come to Australia, that they meet them and induct them into this but not only are they paid uh, almost nothing they're exploited through their accommodation which is, is foul and yep. is, is not livable in but and there were 24 people living in one house uh, and that house was owned by the com- one of the companies attached to the grower Yes, who who reckons who didn't really know they don't reckon they don't really know what's going on, Uh, and also the the um, the big businesses reckon they didn't know what was going on. Give me a break. How do they think that they're paying so little for their fruit, for their labour, for the well, for the fruit that the Woolworths and Coles and Costco. No, it was Costco. Oh, was it? Mm. Well, they didn't say Aldi. They said Costco. Throwing Aldi. Well, you might, they might sue you. <laughs> That's why I've got you sitting beside me. I'm just me. looking at you. <laughs> Please, listener, he did not say LD. Well, no, he's taken Costco, that back. Costco, he made a mistake. Costco. Anyway, that, uh, they've been named by the age, and the age actually sent an infiltrator up there uh, to was work. A Malaysian journalist. Yes, and uh, so they've got very good information about how that all works. And so these people who come here end up with virtually no money or in debt. Mm. Sometimes working almost for nothing after they've paid their food, their rent and whatever. Now, I'm glad I've got you sitting beside me, Senior Counsel, because I'm going to say, I'm going to suggest that those people involved in this migration racket are criminals or they're uh, aiding and abetting criminals. Now, there are people in the Department of Immigration that know this is going on. There are people in the Department of Border Force Force who know this is going on. And they've been caught at it because uh, um, a review um, a couple of years ago found people uh, being being dismissed from Border Force because of their, um, their involvement in the migration racket. Now, 166,000 people, I don't mind who comes to this country, as long as they're not ripped off, as yeah. long as they're paid decent wages and uh, live in decent housing conditions, mm. I don't mind. And after they've, after they've served their time, uh, they can go home and they can come back again uh, next time. But when we uh, torture... 2,000 people on Manus and, uh, and the Rue and uh, don't we turn a blind eye um, to 457 visa holders, then we're in a bad situation in this country. Well, apparently the number of backpackers coming here is dropping because they're sick of being exploited, I would think. Well, they're, smart, uh, well, they're, and, uh, <laughs> they're probably being undercut. Mm. Yes. By well, the, they're undercut by the other workers, the other so ones. they're not needed. And what mm. I'd like to check with Irene... Not because of your legal uh, <laughs> padding around you there, but it's something. These are things which in which you have the interest. When you're talking about these workers brought out here and they arrive here with debts and things, I wonder how many young women are brought here. 
and not to go fruit picking. Oh, oh no, yes. they're oh, involved a lot in of that sex, the sex yes. trade, yes. and they become sex slaves yes. um, through no fault of their own, and they're indebted uh, to their employer because one of the boats you were talking about before um, actually applied uh, in Malaysia to come here, and uh, but he had to pay the $1,500 uh, back uh, to the labour hire company that had paid his fare. Now, $1,500, um, he didn't come on Tiger Airlines or um, Jetstar. He must have, had, must have come in the business class. Anyway, they ripped that money off him when he came. He had to work 60 hours a week um, at $13 an hour mm. in order just to pay back his airfare. Mm. Well, Criminal. I think, I think well, there was a lot of stuff uncovered in, well, England really, Western Europe, when all those young women from mm. the former Soviet state, you know, sort of Slovenia and, you know, yeah, from Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe yeah. ended up as what you said, sex slaves. There's really no other word for it. Mm. But I just wonder how many of those people brought out here on these bloody schemes oh, by I'd these crooked lots. migration agencies. Mm. Well, there, ought, there ought to be a crackdown on these migration agents because apparently anybody can set themselves up as a migration yes. agent. You probably have to do a course at uh, Jim's uh, Migration we Agency. We could do it. Um, we could set one up. We could set we one could up. We could do it. We've got a lawyer. Oh, we've got a lawyer. With <laughs> yes, but I'm one who might want to practice at some point. Even though I've got my practising certificate. I know all the shifty tricks. So I can and he knows all the shifty yeah, tricks. Yeah, I can, I oh, can be in there. Do. I can and be. I can do all the web stuff for it. Yes. Right. I can be the manager director of your shifty uh, migration. Migration. Oh, thank you very much. Jim's migrations. Yes. <laughs> Jim's migrations. Susie's. <laughs> sounds friendly. Susie's. Yeah. Well, Nellie's. Or Nellie's. Aunt Nellie's. Or migra- Vini's. There you go. Yeah. Vini's migration. Um, I was reading something in the in the newspaper the other day about uh, people who are baristas or who work in cafes, yes. uh, who work in restaurants, are not being paid a living yep. wage yep. because they're being paid ten dollars, uh, twelve dollars cash in hand. But when you take into account, you know, it might seem. You know, I get 10 bucks and the taxation department doesn't know about it, so it's all mine. Yeah, but you don't get superannuation. You work off the books. So if you're injured, you lose a leg um, mm. or whatever, you're not covered. And, the employer, and yeah. the employer will say, sorry, it didn't work exactly. for me, no timesheets here. Yes. Um, and also, you're not contributing to the economy. You can't complain that you don't get good roads or you don't get uh, good sewerage or whatever because you don't pay ta- tax anyway uh, because you're taking it all and keeping it yourself. But well, you make people like George Columbaris happy. Oh, yeah, George Columbaris, a multimillionaire, paid a uh, million, million and a half dollars for a series of uh, the kitchen program that he does and doesn't want to pay penalty rates. Can't afford it. Well, oh, most of them don't God. want to pay people no. race because it no. eats they into don't their pay profit it anyway. Well, I know a cleaner who is employed by a cleaning company who is uh, being paid by the hour. He's working full time, very much full time, I'd say, uh, probably a bit more than that. Uh, who is uh, not paid overtime, sick leave? Is he Aussie? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Is he an Aussie? He lives here. Is he, is he an Aussie? Is he? Is, yeah, he lives here. Is he yeah. like? Well, he's a, a, a new Aussie, like we used to call new Australians, but What's he's an Aussie. Mean? He doesn't come from here. Wasn't born here. He wasn't here. born here. No, that's right. No, but he, he he's an Aussie. So he's open now. to be exploited. He is. And most of these yes, people that right. come here are and open to be exploited. He actually, I think, knows he's being exploited uh, when I talk to him, but 
he's too scared because he'll lose his job. Hmm. Anyway, yeah. there was a there was a great case in the Fair Work Commission this week where a bloke who'd halfway into his ten hour shift uh, as a garbage collector had to get out and have a pee up a lane, uh, and he was caught by a Melbourne City Council inspector. Uh, he was fined and then he was sacked yeah. uh, because he had yeah. nowhere to have a pee and had to go up a lane to have one. Well, Fair Work Australia, for once in their life, have got things right and they've said that he ought to be reinstated immediately. So it's 9.57, it's Friday morning, you've been listening to Left After Breakfast, uh, so let's go out the same old way. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight. You lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. <laughs>